I do have a hand in my trauma. I choose to be in relationship with a certain type of people that subconsciously, I'm not even aware of it, resemble my parents, the relationship I had with an alcoholic mother or caretaking from my brother. So I've been choosing, this is what I've realized, I've been choosing the type of relationships that I grew up with. Welcome everyone to this episode of Zen Mama in the Attic. I'm Mary. I'm Kate. And we're with us. Yeah, we're pretty excited. We have a guest today. Her name's Lori Bradway. And um, I just met Lori coincidentally. She was actually looking online for resiliency related people or work in the world and she fell upon my site. And so we connected because she ends up being living in Richmond right now, which is the town that I live in. And we had a beautiful story and realized that we were connected in a lot of different ways and realized what a wonderful guest she would be to have on our show because she has her story that is beautiful and relatable and she's doing beautiful work in the world. So welcome, Lori. Hi. Well, thanks, Mary, and thanks, Kate. Um, yeah, I'm trying to do beautiful work in the world. <laughs> I know it doesn't always feel that way, but let me say from my lens, I think it's I think it's beautiful and much called for. So, and we'll hear about that. So let's just have you start by giving a little bit about who you are and um, before this moment, how your life has looked. Sure. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm from Martha's Vineyard originally, so I'm an island girl. Nice. Uh, and I grew up in Connecticut, and I grew up in the Adirondacks, and I summered at my grandparents in Rhode Island on the shore in Little Cottage, mm. and with all my cousins and uh, family and stuff like that. So it sounds lovely. Awesome. Yeah, but I, I don't want to paint a um, too bright picture of my upbringing because mm. I did have a troubled childhood. So I come from a functional background, and I'm working that out in a 12-step group I'm part of. Mm-hmm. In a what kind of group is that? 12-step group. Oh, the 12-step program, yeah. Yeah, it's ACA. Mm-hmm. I know you have some a lot of experience around that, so maybe tell us, do you mind expanding a little bit about that journey for you? Sure. Well, ACA stands for Adult Children of alcoholics, alcoholics, excuse me, and dysfunctional family, dysfunctional family systems. So the work is a little bit deeper than AA, and the work is mm, uh, a bit deeper too than Al-Anon or NA, in that we're actually going back to the root of the addiction instead of just uh, addressing the addiction itself or any behavioral changes that are necessary. Um, I did all that and I still had 20, I've almost got 24 years coming up in March. Nothing was really, really, really getting better because I wasn't addressing 
that the route to addiction is a very, very long route. It goes way, way, way back to childhood mm-hmm. and what happened in childhood. Um, so it's not so much what kind of addiction I had because an addiction is an addiction is an addiction and it could be anything, right? Right, right. And anything at all from food to heroin to alcohol to pills to exercise or um, uh, dating sites, uh, some, yeah. something like that, you know, and media is an addiction. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we have, we're surrounded this day and age with so many different forms of addiction. And um, this, this kind of world we're in, the social life we live actually promotes many different kinds of addiction, like media. <laughs> yeah. And, and exercise. And, um, you know, it can, some of the things can be good. They can be a substitute for other addictions. Um, but you can even bring that too far. Look at people who exercise and they have anorexia or something. Yeah. You know, so whatever way that addiction was presenting in my life at different stages in my life, I always thought, oh, I can take care of this problem right here. And then another addiction. So it's like the whack-a-mole game you yeah. know when you whack a mole and then another mole comes up over here or yeah. over there yeah so that's how addiction is you know and unless I was going to go deeper and get to the root of why I'm an addictive personality why I have those tendencies then I wasn't going to find any answers you know um, so it's hard work in the ACA program uh, some of it was so deep that I, I just was almost re-traumatized going back there, right? Mm, yeah. yeah. But it's so necessary, so necessary. So I faced it head on, you know, um, just being very, very brave and plowing through. And everything I learned uh, to date is not everything. It's just scratching the surface. <laughs> It's a lifelong journey for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I've I've been at it two years, so I I need to continue and continue and and before that though, um Lori, you you've been in AA, right? And you've been in NA and you've been in Mm -hmm. Al Anon, but you feel Mm -hmm. that they serve different purposes or they just didn't quite get you as deep as you needed to go, or can you talk about that a little bit? Sure, I can talk about that. I think that they're all different sides of the same creature. It's like that story of the blind man and the elephant where one person's got a hold of the tail and they think, oh, this creature's a skinny little thing like a snake and another person has the, the foot and they're like, no, it's like a tree trunk. It's big, it's, it's fat, it's, it's solid. And another person has the ear and it's thin and it's floppy. It's, this is what this creature is. Well, it's not any one of those things, mm. let me tell you, but it is a little bit of all. Mm. The nice. different approaches is, is, were at different times in my life during um, feeling different needs to explore. So maybe when I reached a plateau or a level in one program and I just, couldn't go any farther, say AA, I had uh, read the big book, uh, frontwards and backwards, and I wanted to rewrite it. 
<laughs> and do it my way. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know? And then in NA, it was like, oh, yeah, it's all young people, and it's much better than AA because they're older people, and the younger people can relate. So I really like NA. It's more of a, a social club, a dating mm. club, you oh, know, God. and that, that didn't work out. That didn't work out. And um, I thought it was really hilarious that I had a fishbowl. And I mean, one of those big, fat, round, clear fish bowls full of one-day chips. And I would say, come on up and see my fish bowl full of one-day chips. And I would laugh. <laughs> well, not so funny after a while. When, yeah. uh, when friends, I was pretty soon friends that were sitting with me day after day, night after night in the meetings, started going out those doors and I found out those are not revolving doors. Mm. Once you go out, there is no guarantee you're going to get back in. Yeah. People would die out there. People would stay out there and uh, be immersed in their addiction for many, many, many more years. But it's like they say, there's not many options when you're out there. It's jails, institutions, death, uh, a life of poverty, homelessness, it only spirals down. It's a downward spiral. Mm. It's not a solution. There's no solutions out there. So I became really, really serious about my program from that time on. I, and I had entered the program rooms when I was about 21, 22, something like that. Okay. Uh-huh. I'm 63 now. Okay. So, that's a good long time of trying to get any length of sobriety mm -hmm. of hitting maybe the third year mark. And that was as far as I got. And then I go out and then I get three more years and then I go out and then I get three more. I don't know. Three was like the magic number. Mm. But then after that, when I got four years, seven was the magic number. Mm. And then it was, Oh God, I had to go out at, after seven years, I, I went out, ugh. And uh, that happened a couple of times, too. So I, I think it changed when I, I decided to finally take some medication um, okay. for, for my problem to, for the depression part of it, or they said it might help, you know? So... I felt like from there, my head was not underwater feeling like I was drowning. Mm. But the medication actually raised my head above the water about yay high so that my chin was just on the surface. Oh, yeah. And I was seeing things from a different perspective, not from under the water, but from above the water. Interesting. And you were yeah. now, for so many years, were you against the medication piece of it? Or had you just not thought about doing that? No, I was definitely against the medication piece of it. I had been a sponsor to dual diagnosed people uh -huh. who, who had many cross addictions and also mental illnesses. Yeah. So they were, they were on medications. And I was, quite frankly, a natural girl, um, mm -hmm. vegetarian. I didn't like medicines. I would do herbs, things like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
I think but it's I a really it's a really important point that you're sharing. I think that um, I'm right there with you. Uh, I'll have to jump through a lot of hoops before I'll consider a pharmaceutical, but there is a place for it. And sometimes mm -hmm. it's absolutely what is needed. It's right? so true. And I see so many people uh, on my journey that, you know, it's like they'll go out and do heroin, but then when they're in recovery, they don't want to take a medicine. And I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> that doesn't make sense. Sometimes you need that gap of medication to get you to the next point. But I feel like I've seen so many people when they go into recovery, so resistant to the medication. And it's like really what makes them keep going back. And then they finally get the depression medication or whatever, just for a little bit to get them through or, you know, whatever amount of time. And that seems to help them. But I don't think you're alone on that one. I think a lot of people struggle. Yeah. Even people with mental illnesses will not take medication if, mm -hmm. if they haven't taken a lot of medication in their lives or if they're natural like this, vegan, vegetarian, um, like to use the herbs and the supplements and yeah. exercise or whatever. Um, they're against the idea. And so yeah. they think, oh, I can, I can get a grip on this mental illness. I can get a grip on this through spirituality. I can do the 12-step group. I don't need medication. Uh, there's got to be ways that I know that I can deal with it. All these supplements, you know, a whole box full of different kinds. Um, maybe go see a Buddhist counselor. Maybe join some kind of spiritual group. Maybe take yoga. Maybe teach yoga. Yeah. But all They're all beautiful things. options. They are all beautiful options, but sometimes we... We need to couple it with something else to get us through is what I'm hearing. Yeah, that's right. That's what I'm saying is like all of that stuff and all those different ways and means and journeys sometimes just aren't enough. And the medication really, really does help. Mm -hmm. But then people get off the medication and that's where the problems crop up again. Yeah. So uh, I like the analogy you used of getting your head above the water. And so mm -hmm. you could actually look around maybe a little bit. And mm -hmm. then, and then once you got to that point, um, I know the medication was helpful, but do you feel like there was like people talk about their rock bottoms or talk about a spiritual awakening or something that kind of helps you around that corner, perhaps when you could see up out of the water, some light went off for you or some, can you speak to that at all? I want to say that I was, always a spiritual person hmm. it's in my nature and that's how i was so i had a lot of enlightenment from an early age and luckily i had a father who introduced me to many different forms of spirituality you know he said you do not have to go to the church your mother says to go to the episcopal church you can choose your own so we went to uh, a Jewish synagogue. We went to Native American ceremonies. We went to a Quaker meeting nice. house. Our best place was to go to this park. And in the park, we could talk about anything we wanted to, about life, about spirituality. My father would take hours talking about a leaf and interpreting how that had to do with change mm. in life, mm. how the leaf changes and, and yeah. how life changes and so I learned how to interpret life 
you know, in a spiritual way like that, looking at different things that I saw in nature. Yeah. I, I always say I source my spirituality from nature because it's such a strong source. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's vibrant. It's where everything, all that energy moves from, you know, and it's, it's in us. It's in everything, that energy of the universe. Yeah. yeah. That's beautiful. And I'm right there with you on that one. That's I go to the woods when I need to <laughs> fill right. myself up. Yeah. So I've had I've had various spiritual things happen to me in the, in the woods or yeah. um, in nature. Um, it's sometimes uh, the times when it's the darkest and when you just don't feel like there's any more hope, and that's when you'll come across one of these spiritual gems that's what i found at least it's beautiful yeah. i had just moved off the island and i had moved to new hampshire and i loved new hampshire and even in april i was swimming in the lake with the loons and the ice flows and it was so cold that that coldness would wake me up and would just mm. wake me up. and this one morning i was going in the water and the sun had just started to come onto the water and rise in the morning and steam was coming off the water as the heat met the cold water and there was this layer of fog all across the lake and i as i went under the water we're talking about going under again okay i'm under the water at this point and i come back up and I see that the fog is illuminated, mm. like glowing. And in this glowing fog are thousands of iridescent dragonflies. Oh, wow. Goodness. And I said, this, this is a God moment. This is a God moment. Yeah. This is one of those moments, mm. you know? That's beautiful. That gives me goosebumps right yeah there's something about dragonflies too i don't know i really love them yeah they are powerful yeah i had another i know i had another experience where i thought a bear was chasing me and i was hiking up the mountains and i was <laughs> again i didn't know where i was going in life where i should move to and this was in the white mountains and what should i do um i'm tanking there's not enough money to pay the bills and this that the other and i'm like my life is over <laughs> some terrible things had happened to me and i was just like oh is this the end and just always when i thought it was the end it was the beginning mm, i love that here i am running up a mountain and I think a bear is chasing me and I'm crying at how dare this bear try to chase me to kill me because I'm, I'm crying here tears and I'm having this existential crisis, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Dare that bear do that. And all of a sudden I fall down on my knees and I wipe the tears out of my eyes and I am in the middle of a patch of red raspberries as far as the eye can see and the blue wow. sky had just turned blue and and the sunlight was shining down on this patch of red raspberries mm. and i just knew i was supported by something other than whatever you want to call it right yeah. that is loving 
and supportive and wants the best for me. Oh, um, it, it, it really does exist. You know? Yeah, I love that. Thank you for sharing. And I, I think it is in those moments when we just hit the wall or the bottom or our bottom feels like it's falling out that, that it creates that feeling of being held, right? Yeah. That right. I think we all long for in those moments and to know we're not alone. And that lifts us up, right? And like helps us on down the path a little bit and how, how beautiful um, your sharings are around that, Lori. Really, that's very profound. Yeah. yeah. Really it's serendipity. You can't make that happen. <laughs> no, you can't. You can't make those things up. And I think, yeah, that is the divine. Like you say, whatever you believe in, we have to sometimes mm -hmm. open ourselves up to receive. And sometimes right. it's not till we hit the crisis points. Yeah. And yeah. sometimes that's why we hit those points is that if we're not at those points, we don't open ourselves up to see those things. And it's like we get so low down that we like, that's what we need in order to see, to see those things. Right. Yeah. You have to really hit the bottom of the bottom and think yeah. that that's it. There's nothing else. And all of a sudden that power that support says, you're wrong and I'll show you. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Then you can appreciate those, those signs and stuff then too. Yeah. You might be more apt to listen. Yeah. To yeah. Because yeah. I think those miracles happen to us every day. I just think a lot of time we're just not paying attention. Re correct. Like, I agree with you. Yeah. I agree too. Yeah. But it does, it does happen in times of change. And I, yeah. I had a big Hard. change this, this year. And I had a big trauma happen this year. Yeah. Tell us about that, if you will. Well, I'll, I will tell you why I'm here in Vermont is because of a trauma. Um, I came here with a partner who turned out to be abusive and mm. just out of the blue um, there, I was the victim of domestic violence, you know, and it's, it's shameful to talk about that. It seems like, Oh, you know, you talk about it and people want to change the subject. It's too hard to deal with, you know, it's, it's mm -hmm. too dark. It's too deep. It's, it's just too ugly. <laughs> and it happens you know, so um, much. And I think you're right with the shame that people don't want to talk about it. Any, anything like that with the shame, people just don't want to talk about it. But you know what? That's the thing you have to do. And that's why I'm here talking about it. Yeah. yeah. Because that happened to me. It was very traumatic at the time that it happened on many different levels physically, emotionally, um, mentally. Uh, and it did change my life for a number of months where I thought, I, you know, I am nobody. I, I don't exist. I'm, I'm not worthy of being here or something. Mm. There was shame. There was uh, worthlessness feelings. Um, there was, how do I go on after this in my community? It's embarrassing. Um, and there was, how do I help myself? How, how can I even begin to help myself? Right. Yeah. And through the grace of that 
supportive power they um threw people into my life just people came, started to gravitate into my life that really helped me navigate this trauma this horrible event that had happened and to not look down on me for it and not blame or shame the victim that's the worst thing you want to do in a domestic violence case mm -hmm. uh, but they believed me you know and i spoke from the heart and i told the truth and i said i did not cause this it just happened mm -hmm. yeah you know and um they gave me help they pointed me in the right direction i became involved with uh, a church here in richmond the community church and the reverend there was so wonderful she gave me a prayer shawl that was knitted mm. with prayers in it and i mm. wrap it around myself when i feel i need some comfort you know and to remember that all these people knitting it were putting prayers into it it's very powerful that's very beautiful yeah. yeah while you're sharing an experience that um i think a lot of people walk through and i is can you talk about the shame a little bit having you know not walked through it myself is it just that you is it a steep sense of blame of allowing or can you share that <laughs> The shame that I, I think that I was feeling then and, and still feeling to some degree now is that um, people are going to look down on me for that happening, you know, that I made the wrong decision in a man or that I somehow caused this myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think as a woman, I think we also put so much on ourselves to cater and you know society has to kind of cater to the man i know um i've been have that have been in those experience like experienced that before um and it's embarrassing the shame i think and yeah you feel like you already are at the beginning of healing at least you blame yourself for it as it is um until you work through that right um, and I did call lots of agencies. So there's Steps Vermont. Okay. They were very helpful on the phone. And there's the Howard Center. And they actually accompanied me to the courthouse. Okay. The restraining order. But it was very patriarchal in the um, police and the court systems. Yeah. In that I, I do not think that they believed me. I think that they were on his side. Mm -hmm. And only because he had been a community member here for like 40 years. And, um, well, that means nothing. And only because he hadn't done anything like this before. Well, that means nothing either. It happened. And right. just at face value for what it was, you know, it, it was a horrible incident and it happened. Yeah. But I, I'm really astonished that the courts didn't give me any justice that he never saw any jail time and he um didn't go to he was on the docket but it won't go into the court because it's supposed to be a jury trial and they're not doing that because of covid okay. they kept putting it off and putting it off and um so the restraining order lapsed and i i don't have that protection anymore although the police did tell me it's only a piece of paper and they can always break a restraining order and i'm still in danger you know 
So um, that must be really yeah. hard to live with that sense of, I don't know, do you feel a sense of fear around that? Or do you feel like your recovery from that has helped you? Um, I don't know. How does that feel, I guess? Um, my safety is um, is a lot better now. I, my feeling of safety is a lot better now. I really don't think that he is coming to get me, at least not physically. He might come and try to get me in court or something like right. that. But um, there were other agencies that connected me to like free yoga classes. Mm. And that was a lifesaver as far as feeling safer and feeling more balanced and more in my body. Um, I I think yoga was a lifesaver for me because if you just are a person who's feeling ashamed, guilt, fear, um, all those terrible feelings and uh, and the trauma and the PTSD, Coming back to the breath, it's like coming back into your body. And when you have trauma, you're not in your body. That's the last place you want to be. That body's just been beaten up, pummeled with fists, choked, strangled. That that body is not where you want to be. So I had a hard time getting back into my body and being real in the now time and being balanced and being... um, feeling secure and safe spiritually, emotionally, mentally, until I started just breathing, just breathing through yoga, just the basics. My teacher saw the need for just getting me back in my body. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. That's a, that's beautiful. And yoga is so powerful. I'm so glad that became a thread to your healing. Yeah. And I know you, were you, did you do yoga before that, or that yeah. was your? Uh, I, had, I had done a little bit of yoga before that on Martha's Vineyard, and my teachers there wanted to send me to the Justice Resource Center because I was always very interested in helping people that ha- have trauma. Mm-hmm. I had been through so much trauma in my life, just jackpot after jackpot of trauma, and didn't understand it, and I'm learning to understand that through the ACA program. Okay. That I do have a hand in my trauma. I choose to be in relationship with a certain type of people that subconsciously, I'm not even aware of it, resemble my parents, the relationship I had with an alcoholic mother or caretaking from my brother. So I've been choosing, this is what I've realized, I've been choosing the type of relationships that I grew up with Mm. because one, they're comfortable, and two, I've adapted uh, a set of um, adaptations to to deal with that kind of trauma. Yeah. You know? Just that um, conditioning, right, that we, we all have, right, to show up in our life in certain ways that, help everyone but ourselves often right yeah so that realization i'm sure it's like what we know so we seem to migrate to those those personalities and those um roles even if they're not healthy it's it's the normal for us and that's we feel comfortable 
Right. So we even not consciously choosing those types of situations or roles or people, we're doing that. Right. It's like an underground current that we never see. And going back to do the ACA work with the uh, wounded inner child and becoming our, reparenting ourselves, becoming our own loving parent in the 12-step program, using all the tools of the program, we become our own loving parent. We take responsibility for our own parenting. We don't always look for that other parent in a relationship that isn't available to give it to us. Mm -hmm. They're not capable, you know? And really, it shouldn't be their job. Right. When you say parent, you're talking relationship in general, right? Fulfilling a role outside of you, or are you really talking about a parental role? I'm talking about a, a parental stereotype role, yeah. 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 So say, say I had a mother who was never around, never there emotionally for me. I might choose people to be in my life that fulfill that role yeah. because that's comfortable to me. I'm used to that. I've yeah. developed adaptations to deal with that. So I choose that subconsciously. Mm -hmm. you know that they're not going to care about me yeah uh, you know I, I i tended to choose narcissists men who were narcissists why because they're not there emotionally they don't have any emotions right. it's a known fact they, they just can't that is it. really um incredibly deep and courageous work that you're doing i um Thank I think you. about, I've been using this analogy lately of um, Christmas tree lights being all tangled up, right? And maybe our soul's at the center of it and that we just have to slowly, the, the courage it takes, the warrior work to begin to untangle that and that sometimes we, it's just one piece at a time, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're incredibly curious about what's in there at the middle, but it, it's a process and we need a lot of support around that and, um, and we need like moments, as I'm sure you've had along the way, to to surge forward in moments to to come back and nurture and be with what has been discovered before you can then um, move forward. And I I feel like um, you I know you're doing you've become a yoga teacher. Or you, I am going for my yoga teacher training. I graduate in March. Yeah. Well, yay, because what beautiful work to turn around. <laughs> yeah. And I know you have been... So excited. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm excited for you. I'm excited for anyone that can be one of your students. And you're pulling trauma into yoga for trauma as part of the work, right? Yes, I am. I'm turning my lemons into lemonade. <laughs> That's so beautiful. Yeah. And no one can deliver and share that in a more meaningful way than someone that's walked the path, right? And yeah. know what's called for and hold space for your students. And because let's, let's, we've, you've given some examples um, and talked so truthfully and honestly and been vulnerable and like from my heart to yours, like, thank you. I know that in itself is incredibly hard. I also know it can be incredibly healing, right? To just name it and to tell our story oh, yeah. and to walk through that. The, the healing journey is a long journey. It's, it's not one I don't think I'll finish in this lifetime, but yeah. um, it's well worth it. It really yeah. is well worth it to come back to myself, to rehome myself in myself, 
-hmm. and to um, make a commitment to to that transformation to that journey you know it's it's deeply brave i mean change is inevitable but transformation is by conscious choice mm. and it's a conscious choice to step forward onto a path of transformation and to move from being a victim of change to being a co-creator with change Oh, that's beautiful. And that is, uh, I'm quoting that from Heather Ash Amara. I just love that last part about, you know, you just, life hands you a lot of different changes and stuff. But if you can be a co-creator with change rather than digging in against it and pushing back and, and refusing and being in denial, but Go with the change. See where, even if it looks bad, even if it's scary, mm-hmm. and go with that change. Flow with it, and and like you said, be curious. And yeah. also, yeah. I have a yoga teacher that says that all the time. I think I'll get it in neon letters for my wall. Be curious about <laughs> <laughs> the journey. You know? Yeah, I think that yeah, it's. It doesn't have to be pretty. It doesn't have to be organized. It doesn't have to be all parts of it there. No. But you do have to have the willingness to sit there with it regardless. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that state that we're in in this pandemic is so easy to shut down and so easy to numb and so easy to be resistant and... Um, as we come into the solstice tomorrow night, right, and the shifts that are happening um, in the year ahead, if we can be open and curious, then all things become possible, right? Knowing that we're not, like we grasp and we hold on because we're afraid of all the things that happen that happen to us anyway. <laughs> but, you know, we also can ride those waves of, of joy if we can allow ourselves, as you have so done in your journey, to sit with the discomfort and to, um, to explore and investigate and nurture and uh, to get to the other side. So over and over and over again, right? Right. Over and over as many times as it takes. Yeah. 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 And when we talk about trauma, I know when I used to think about trauma, I'd think about big traumas like like rape or domestic abuse or, you know, real violent acts. And I have come to understand that trauma comes uh, in many coats and that we've all experienced trauma in some way. And I don't know, maybe you have a def. I know you've done work with trauma and yoga and your education around that. Maybe you have a way of defining trauma um, so that we can broaden the understanding of that. I don't think there's any one definition for trauma. I think everybody's trauma looks different. Okay. You know? And so, again, I go back to the analogy of the blind man and the elephant. You know, you might have a small piece of it and you might say, oh, this is trauma. But it's not that. And somebody else will say, oh, no, it looks like this. And no, it's not that either. But it's their little truths that add up to the, the larger truth. And whatever truth trauma looks like to you at the time it looks like, that's what it is right now for you in this moment. 
and it doesn't have to be a big trauma. When I first came to New Hampshire, I was from Martha's Vineyard. I was only there six months and I heard an alarm in the middle of the night and I went upstairs to investigate, knocked on my landlord's door. The door was open. I went in to find his dead body. He had, oh, wow. he had blown his brains out with a gun. Hmm. And I was just immediately traumatized by that. Right. Now that trauma is my disability because seeing something like that and never seeing any violence, never growing up with um, violence and never having a television on Martha's Vineyard for like 30 years. Mm -hmm. and I still don't have one and I don't watch violence and I don't participate in it. Mm -hmm. I, I just, I can't imagine violence. I'm the type that'll take a, like a spider. I had three of them the other day in the bathtub, but I was taking a bath and it was like, ah, and then it was like, no, it's okay. Just put him in a cup, put a tissue in there. And then it was like, how am I going to run down the hall naked with these spiders? Explain <laughs> <laughs> that one. It's, it's on the video cameras in the apartment building. But um, I, would, I would do anything to preserve life. Yeah. And to not see harm come to other creatures. Mm. And that's part of yoga. And it's it was funny for me to learn that that's a big part of yoga, the yamas and the niyamas. Yeah. Do no harm to anything because I've lived my whole life trying to do no harm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I would do harm yeah. to myself. And that's another thing. Self-harm is yeah. a lot of part of the shame. Yeah. I was a cutter. I caught on my arms, wrist, oh. I, for attention, mm. and um, mostly when I was an uh, alcoholic. Mm. And so sometimes so was I that so that was like your twenties? Did that start in high school at all? I went through my twenties to my forties drinking heavily. Yeah. Okay. Off and on, mostly on. Uh huh. Yeah. And also, also using some drugs and things. So you, but you didn't start cutting until you were drinking is what you're saying. That wasn't something you started like as a teenager for attention. No, I had not. I, I did, that came with the addiction. With the addiction. Yeah. Yeah. Addiction. is. I didn't feel like I could express. I didn't think I could express how much I was being harmed by life, by the things in my life, the uh, feelings I had about my parents. And so the cutting is a visual way of telling the world I'm hurting. Yep. They, they're attention. They call them attention cuts, but it's not so much more than that. It's yeah. like, I don't have a voice. I don't have a voice. I can't tell you that I'm hurting. So this shows you that I'm hurting. Yep. It's a very sad thing. Yeah. But that's, yeah. you know, in, back in those days, I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing much because I was terribly alcoholic. I, I couldn't pick up one drink without having a, a hundred that night until I passed out, you know? Yeah. Uh, I was a real alcoholic, you know? Well, that's an incredible corner to turn. So like, congratulations yeah. to your 23 plus years of sobriety. That's, oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. Um, I am on a, on the yoga lens. Um, has have you done chakra here healing, and has that been helpful for opening up? I'm thinking about your throat chakra, and you're saying I couldn't really speak 
the pain yeah. I was feeling. And I'm wondering if you've done some chakra healing through your, yeah, I'm sure you have through your yoga practice, but. I'm going to answer it in a different way. I did do healing. It wasn't chakra healing, I don't think, on the throat, but um, I had found a lot of help through doing the chanting. Oh, mm -hmm. yes. yes. I yes. heard so much about this chanting lately. Like the new thing. <laughs> it's fun. It's yeah. fun. I, you know, chant and be happy. I can't chant without being filled with joy and smiling. It just... Um, it dusts off, right? They say the mirror that reflects our true essence of unconditional love, the armoring up that we've done around our heart. And when we chant, that transcendental vibration just cuts through it all, right? It raises our vibration, yeah, too. Totally. I could, I could literally, I was in a concert, um, Snatam Kaur was in concert in uh, someplace in Massachusetts, Arlington, I think it was. And um, the whole place was just humming with energy oh. as well as vibration from the sound. But it is a breathing exercise when we were going like, hurry, ha, hurry, ha. You're really pressing that breath outwards. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really coming from a deep, deep place. Mm. You have to just like move it and let it go. So it's breaking up the chakras and it's changing the vibration of the molecules as it goes. Mm. And, uh, you know, elevating your spiritual vibration. Yeah. So beautiful. Well, you have such great um, shares. I, such yeah, a gift right. <laughs> to our audience and to us. I use everything. I use crystals. I use Native American sage smudging oh, and sweetgrass. Yeah. And I like to I do that. Whatever modes of healing there might be out there that someone could introduce me to or I come across or yeah. explore, just be curious. Be yeah. curious about your healing journey. What is it? Maybe you just collect rocks. Maybe you like to walk the riverbed and or the beach and collect rocks and look at the colors and the shapes and the patterns and maybe put them in different designs. You know, it's all your healing journey. Be curious yeah. and, and yeah. create something wonderful. That's beautiful. I think, um, I think yeah. we don't understand how pro profound those little acts are oh, um, man. that feel good and, um, yeah, I always say find what feels good and do more of it, right? Give ourselves permission. Permission, yes. 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 Yeah. Oh, Lori, it's been such a, such a wonderful um, conversation with you and so much wisdom. I don't know, is there, I, I definitely would like to follow up and we'll share a couple of links that you've mentioned here locally, and I'm sure there's some nationally as far as the steps you took after your trauma because i think there's people that could really benefit from that and from the different um programs that you've been involved in in your healing so we'll include that in the show notes and right is there anything else that you'd like to share or like one piece of wisdom that you would like to bestow on our uh community you've shared so much but i don't know if there's one piece that resonates most loudly to you I'd like to just say in the, in the journey of healing, recovery from whatever it what is, whether it's addiction or it's some other form of trauma, 
it takes a village. Mm -hmm. You can't do it alone. Your family can't do it with you. It takes a lot more people than that. It takes connection, reaching out and connecting to the human race. And, and you'll find your tribe out there. They're out there. You know, I found many, many people that were so supportive here in Vermont. And I continued to be connected with those people and they're a blessing in my life. Yeah. Well, you seem like I just, I'm being, <clears throat> here we are over the phone, but I can feel your like healing energy. So I'm glad you're becoming a teacher and you can share that with people. That's great. Yeah. My vibration's high just being on here with you. So yeah. thank yeah. you for that. We're vibing good here. Yeah. <laughs> yes, good vibes. Uh, Lori, thank you so, so, so much. Um, oh, it's been welcome. such a gift. Yes, thank you for having me come today. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of Zen Mama in the Addict and for being part of our extended community. We love you guys. Be sure to check out our Zen Mama in the Addict website. You will find links to all of our social media there. And you'll see on our Facebook, we've added a private Facebook page. So check that out if you're interested in joining that community of sharing in a safe space where we can be a little vulnerable and give each other support and hold each other's hand along this journey. Hey, also sign up for our email list and you can receive our newsletter and any other announcements of events happening. Have a great day. Remember, we can do hard things. We can't stop the struggle, but together we can learn how to surf.